Joel 2 a little bit. And Steve gave us an introduction last week to fasting, um, kind of an overview. I'm going to do a tiny bit as it relates to what I'm talking about today. Um, I had the privilege a few months ago to sit in on a strategic op meeting for the network, which is so foreign to me because I am the opposite of corporate America or anything like that. Um, But the person who was leading it told us oftentimes when we look at a problem, we view it linearly, like we go, okay, this is the next step, this is how we're going to focus in on it, and then we'll do this and do this. And he said, rather, we're going to approach some of the things that we see in this, um, like, funnel, where we're going to start wide and we're going to begin to get closer and closer and closer to what we're talking about. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start a little bit wide, and we're going to get closer and closer as we get to our passage. Similar to Steve, I'm not going to touch on the specific passage till a little bit later on in the sermon. Do not be afraid. That does not mean that the sermon is longer. It just means we're going to hit it at a different point. But you can turn to Joel 2 if you'd like. I'm going to address a few other passages. I'm also going to skip this so I can look at the TV while we, I am preaching because... I printed out my slides, and my eyes are not as young as they used to be. So, um, fasting is a key spiritual practice of the followers of Jesus that is grounded in his teachings and the lives of his apostle. So, fasting is something that was an everyday habit of people who followed Jesus in Scripture. And I think when we think about fasting, it's not, it's, it's a little bit more foreign to the Western church. We've sort of let that go a little bit. It is um, rare. Um, it's a big, it's a big undertaking. Um, it's kind of scary. We kind of don't know how to approach it sometimes. And I think that I, I love that the gospel tab has adopted this yearly fast just to help us step into this place of seeking the Lord through this spiritual habit. Because fasting does not have to be scary. It does not have to be daunting. It does not have to take over um, all of your life. You know, I think when January comes up, I'm like, okay, here we go. I gotta, like, do the thing and make the right decisions. And I I have a little bit of apprehension. Um, But as we step into the practice of fasting, the Lord will cultivate in us Um, a joy to participate in this. So I think that is for us. Fasting is highly relational. It is birthed out of a loving father wanting a reciprocal relationship with his children. Fasting is a response to something that God has already initiated in us. It is our response to the presence of God breaking into our lives. So when we make the decision to fast, it was initiated by God. And I think all of us can think of our selfish selves and know that we would not choose to fast, choose to sacrifice, give something up without the Lord doing a thing in us. I don't know. That's how it is for me. I'm selfish. I like food. I like social media. Um, so I know when I am prompted to fast, the Lord has initiated something in me already. One person that was talking about fasting brought up the idea of um, those married couples who've been married for like a really long time, 
and how if you took a look at their lives, it wouldn't be like chemistry or magic um, that brought that long-term relational bond, but you would see um, an intentional making of choices that weaves habits together in their lives and in their calendars that gave to that relationship. It wasn't magic. It wasn't the chemistry you felt with Johnny in seventh grade. It is the intentional practice of identifying habits that are reciprocal in your relationship and give to that relationship so you grow together. Habits and routines in relationships help them thrive. And if that's not your personality, that seems like, ugh, like, uh, I'm just kind of like a free spirit. But it's true. Habits and routines give space for the Lord to work, but habits and routines help relationships thrive. And we know that at the basis of why we are even here is our relationship with Jesus. And we want our relationship with Jesus to thrive. Therefore, we are going to cultivate habits and routines to help that relationship. Another example is, I don't know if you've ever had an individual in your life who's just like, man, they act like Jesus. Like, when I look at them, I, they are so close to Jesus. What they do just models his behavior in scripture. Like, their lives are just so in tune with Jesus. If you look under the hood in that person's life, you will see an intentional series of habits related to cultivating their relationship with Jesus. It is not just that they got lucky and Jesus liked them better. They chose to invest in the reciprocal relationship with Jesus. So, fasting is a habit in our lives that is meant to invest in um, our relationship with Jesus. Now, fasting is mentioned 30 times in the Bible... Um, now, this isn't like the exa- like everything, but we're going to kind of like go into three stories, right? So there's fasting is mentioned 30 times in Scripture. The first time we hear of fasting, it is Moses' 40-day fast on Mount Sinai. There are three prophets who fasted, three major prophets who I'm going to talk about who fasted in Scripture. Not all of them. Um, for 40 days, Moses Um, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. We find this in Exodus 24, 18. Um, He went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days. God invited him into his presence on the mountain for 40 days. So we are talking about this God that Steve described, this powerful, all-powerful God, giving an invitation to Moses to come and spend 40 days in in his presence. And during that time, he fasted. Um, Elijah, he fled, and he was despaired, and the Lord met him, and he did a 40-day fast in the wilderness. He was fleeing because of things that were going on. His response to God meeting him in his depression in Scripture was a 40-day fast. And then we know that Jesus fasted um, In the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan, and this was at the beginning, before the culmination of his ministry, he fasted uh, for 40 days. So, already we have an example of people who had close and intimate relationships with the Lord our God. Their response to his presence, there was an awareness of his presence in their lives. Their response is to fast. There is not an agenda set up before the fast. It is simply a pure response to his presence in their life. 
And it is a physical embodied response. So oftentimes we think about, um, you know, a spiritual response. I, I must worship, I must journal, I must... And those are all beautiful. But in scripture, so often we see that there is a physical response married with a spiritual experience with an encounter of the presence of God. So um, that is just something I want you to tuck away. Awareness of God's presence. No agenda. And it is a physical embodied response. The heart of the practice of fasting is about a physical embodied response to what God is up to in my life. Oh, I didn't know I made a slide for that. Not yet. (laughs) Um, Most Christians around most of the world for most of history, have thought that it was crucially important part of being a disciple of Jesus to fast. We've lost it. We can regain it. But most of Christian history, people who love and follow Jesus have integrated fasting in their lives. Okay, so there are three types of fasting in the Bible. Um, There's more. I mean, Steve listed more, but three that I'm going to focus on today Um, A defining moment fast. So this is one way to respond to a grace-filled moment of God's presence in your life. This is similar to what we're talking about in these prophets' lives where they they recognize God breaking in. Um, If you've been in in our community, you may have heard the term kairos moment. You may have not. But we refer to that as a moment in time when God breaks in and we sense that he is telling us something. It can be a prompting, it can be conviction. And one response to that, other than taking the action that we talk about in the Kairos, one of the actions can be, God is saying something, I will fast and pray and listen. I will lean in, and one way that I'm going to lean in is by physically abstaining from something to hear him better. This is a defining moment fast. Um, It is interwoven in biblical humans' understanding that spiritual and physical are married. Therefore, it is a part of what they would be doing. Um, And I think that that is something that I personally have grown in through participating in the fast every year with the Gospel Tab. Um, because, because the fast is bringing me back into this practice. It's reminding me. It's a communal fast as a body of Christ. But at the same time, what does it look like for me to be listening for God and my response to sometimes be fasting throughout the rest of the year? What does it look like for me to hear from God and say, okay, God, I don't really know, but I know you are present and speaking, and my response to that is going to be to fast. I'm going to listen more closely. Another fast, which is one that we are kind of going to focus mostly on today, is a turning from sin. This is about grieving over the broken state of our world, our heart, and our mind. This is a moment of conviction where we realize something is broken. And my response to that brokenness is grief and fasting. I'm going to completely understand what's going on. We see this in 1 Samuel 7. Samuel encourages the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, so they have 
um, gone away from the Lord. They have been worshiping foreign gods, and he is calling them back into alignment with God. In 1 Samuel 7, he says, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves. And I think I have this up there, Tim. 1 Samuel 7, 3. Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then verse 6 says, When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. In the Bible, one of the greatest ways that man responds to an awareness of sin is fasting and repentance. So it was an intimate part of a believer's life to recognize that something was broken and to turn, repent, and fast as a response. Um, Many times in Scripture, these fasts were only 24 hours, or they weren't 21 days, they weren't always 40 days. It was a physical response to the sin, and it could have been 24 hours. It was an interrupting of their normal rhythms of life. Um... In Joel 2, we see this, which we're going to go in depth later. It says, fasting is connected with weeping and mourning, right? So they are taking a look at their lives or taking a look at at the calamity around them. And their hearts are grieved to the point of weeping and mourning. And they choose to fast. It's not about punishing yourself. This is a manifestation of grief. I am so broken over my sin, over what is happening around me, that I am going to respond by fasting. It is a, and one person says it's the appropriate embodiment of grief, is to fast. And oftentimes for this type of fasting, there is a desired result, which is the forgiveness of sin. We are asking the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And we are promised through a relationship with Jesus and his death on the cross and resurrection that, that sin, our sins have been forgiven. So we know we have forgiveness, but we are, we are bringing this current brokenness and grief to him and saying, Lord, please forgive me. And the results of which we leave in the hands of the Father. And then there's the tragic calamity fast. Um, it is the embodying the perfect grief to the things happening around us. This is sometimes married with the turning from sin in scripture. We will see kind of a manifestation of both. But this is looking around me and saying, this is not right. What I see around me is not okay. It is not of the kingdom of God. And I am brought to so much grief about it. That my, my choice is to fast. I'm going to weep, I'm going to mourn, and I'm going to fast. Um, some events are so grievous that the appropriate response is fasting. We see this in the story of David. Um, when he has sinned against the Lord and um, had a child with someone who was not his spouse, those of you who may be familiar with the story, he, he had a man killed, and then he had a child with another woman. And the Lord, when he realizes his guilt, when he is brought to the realization of what he has done, the full nature of what he has done, um, he is broken, and he seeks the Lord. 
The Lord does declare that there will be calamity in his life. And that child ends up dying. David's sins are ultimately forgiven. But in the midst of that calamity, a life was lost. And in that moment, David's response, he fasted and prayed with the hope that the Lord would deliver this baby, and he did not. Because his promise to him was forgiveness of sins. His promise was not necessarily to save this baby. So, so David's response to tragedy in his life was to weep and gnash and fast. He embodied the appropriate grief to the loss of that life to the potential loss of that life um, in his life. Okay, so that's my little, my little blip on fasting. So we're going to go around the circle and get a little bit closer to our passage today. Um, and so we are going to talk about um, the response of God to us in fasting. <laughs> Your facial expressions <laughs> like, is this right? Yep. <laughs> um, like I said earlier, the Lord stirs us. He initiates before we even begin to think that we have it together enough to choose to fast to get results. The Lord stirs within us a desire. Um, heaven responds to people on earth. That is a part of God's government. It is a part of his promise to us that it is not an echo that just rings without response. When we call out to the Lord, heaven responds. So when we are calling out to the Lord through the practice of fasting, heaven responds. The Lord stirs it up on the front end. He initiates, he inspires, and he convicts then we, by God's grace, get to respond to that initiation. We respond one way through fasting and repentance. And then God responds to our response. This sentence hit me hard because... um, I'll just read it and you'll see why. (laughs) There are things God would do that he does not because the people of God have not responded to him. There are things that God has initiated, that he has called, that do not see their fullness, because we have not responded to him. That's, that's powerful, because I grew up knowing the sovereignty of God, knowing that he's all-powerful, knowing that his ultimate purpose in loving and uh, redeeming the world will go forth, and we are invited into that. But there are things we do not experience because we do not respond to his call. There is a quality. Oh, this is another one. That's the one that's up there. There is a quality of life in the spirit that people and nations do not experience because they did not respond to the Lord. There is an absolute necessity for us to respond to the call of God in our lives. Nations that do not get to experience the fullness of God's kingdom, of his love, of his blessing, of his deliverance, because they fail to respond to his call in their lives. We misunderstand the sovereignty of God if we do not understand, and we minimize human response. 
If we say, I'm little, what am I to the kingdom of God? You are someone that the Lord's purposes can live through. You are someone who can experience the fullness of God's spirit in your life if you respond to his call. In his love, God restrains himself. So we serve a king, we also serve a loving God. And in his love, he restrains himself until we rise up in love and respond to him. Because he wants a love relationship, a a relationship based on voluntary love. He's not a dictator controlling us. He says, I want this goodness and fullness and healing and freedom for you. And I will wait until you respond so that this relationship is a relationship of love. He's not just a king with power, but a bridegroom filled with love for his people. What does that leave us with? God will not do our part. God will not respond if we do not. So an element of what he wanted for us in his love remains outside of our experience. That sentence alone brings me to grief. That there could be something that God desired to give me, that God desired for me to experience, and I, for whatever reason, did not respond to his call. But thank God we have a loving Father who wants to give it to us, and we can go to it any time and respond to his call. But that makes me want to run. That makes me want to give up Instagram for more than 21 days. If there's something in the kingdom of God that I can experience, and the Lord is asking me to just give up something, oh my gosh, let me do it, please. So let's get to Joel 2. Um, This is our passage for today. So we're kind of bringing it in a little bit closer in this funnel that we've been going down. In Joel 2, one th- so our passage that we are focusing on today is Joel 2, 12 through 27. Um, but in Joel 2, 1 through 11, uh, I'm going to sum it up by saying the day of the Lord is coming. Who can endure it? So it is a picture of calamity coming upon the people. He says, it is coming. Who can endure it? What will be your response to the coming of the day of the Lord? And their response is to fast. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? 
So that's the first chunk we're going to examine. So calamity is coming. The judgment of the Lord is coming. And Joel calls out to the people and says, our response will be to gather a solemn assembly and fast. Here we have a God contending with his own professing people for their sins and executing upon them judgment written in the law. So in Joel 1, what is described is God's judgment of his people's sins. So preceding this, it says, there will be judgment. It is coming, and it is over your sin. Um, it's the judgment that's written about in Deuteronomy 28:42. The fruit of thy land shall the locust consume, um, which is one of those diseases in Egypt. So in Joel 1, we have a really similar... Joel chapter 1 is very similar in its makeup to Joel chapter 2. And in Joel chapter 1, we get a bigger picture of what's going on here. Locusts have destroyed and eaten up the land. The people are living not only in their sin, which requires judgment, but they're also living in devastation of their land. It has taken away their food. It has taken away their resources. This is the place that we find God's people. And in light of Joel's 1, where the locusts have eaten everything and devastated the land, their response to that calamity is to fast, is to be called into fasting. Joel calls them into fasting. Now, in this greater picture of God's coming judgment over their sin in Joel 2, here the Lord tells them, come and fast. Gather everyone. Leave no one. Gather together. Weep and mourn over the state of God's coming judgment. So, verses 1 through 11 help us to see that first action of God. Right? We say, God starts it. So, God initiates. God says, The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. Who can endure it? He initiates it and he convicts them of their sin. He lays out why the judgment is coming. He gives them a picture. He says, here it is coming. This is why. It is a clear call to respond in obedience. Conviction of sin. Therefore, we call a solemn assembly, which leads to repentance, which results in bringing us back. To God. One part that we see in here is rend your heart, not your garments. So, and historically, um, when people were in a time of fasting, they were to, they would have ripped clothes, they would not, you know, keep their physical appearance um, well. It would be an outward representation of that they were in a, a moment of fasting. So, that sentence there means. Like, I, I, I want beyond this outward expression of your grievance of your sin. I want me to rend your heart. As you would rip your cloth while you were fasting, I want you to rend your heart to me. Break open your heart in repentance of your sin so that I can rend the heavens and respond to your um, fasting. The sac- in Psalm fifty-one seventeen, which I think I have on the screen, it says, My sacrifices... The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
Oh, that thou wilt not despise. So the Lord is saying, he is giving us a clear picture of what our response should be to our sin. And it is that we break open our hearts and we say, Lord, I am so broken. I see what I have done against you. And I don't know what to do other than to give it to you and ask for a response from heaven. I am asking, I am giving you my heart. I am, this is a little graphic, I'm ripping my heart out of my chest and I'm giving it to you, Jesus. Because I don't know what to do with it. Clearly, I don't know what to do with it. Because this is where I find myself. But we turn to God, not only because of our fear of judgment, but because of our knowledge of his grace and his mercy. In Exodus 34, 6-7, it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, onto the third and to the fourth generation. We rend our hearts to the Lord because we know that we serve a powerful king, a loving bridegroom, and a gracious and merciful God. I know his character, therefore I can bring my raw and broken heart to him and entrust him with his response. But I do not assume his response. Similar to David in scripture, the promise of the kingdom is heaven, is salvation of our sins, and an eternity with God. That is what is promised to me. And I promised his grace and mercy, but I trust him. We know our inheritance, but I cannot dictate the response of God. That is not where I hold power. I I hold action in my ability to give it to him. We can only obediently respond and seek his face and trust in the character of a God who we have seen before in our lives. I have seen his grace and mercy in my life. I have seen his healing. I have seen his freedom. Therefore, I trust him with my brokenness. I trust him and I do not dictate the manifestation of his response in my life. So then we have the response in Joel 2, which is Joel, I think that's up there, 25. I'm going to just do a little bit. Joel 2, 25 through 27. Yeah. He declares, I will repay for you the years the locusts have eaten. That verse, can I just say, that verse has ministered to my soul so many times. Um, I cling to that verse a lot. But here, literally locusts have devastated their land. They are hearing from the Lord and looking around them at the land that has physically been devastated by locusts. And he promises to repay the years that the locusts have stolen. The years that famine and devastation have taken from them, he promises to restore it. The great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat. Can you imagine how powerful that statement would be to a people whose land has been devastated by locusts? 
You will not just have something to eat. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. What an amazing response of the Lord to the assembly of his people in fasting and repentance. They look around them at the tragic calamity of devastation in their land. They look at the effects of their sin. They rend their hearts and gather and they fast. And the Lord's response is restoration of the land, restoration of their hearts, and the ability to praise him in their abundance. Hallelujah! Like, ain't nothing better than that. (laughs) And after this, later, which we're not going to go into, but later on in Joel 2, it closes with like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They get to walk not only in the healing and restoration of their land, now they get to experience what God wanted for them because of their response to his initiation, to their, to their call to repentance. That is a scriptural example of what I was talking about, and it's so powerful to say, oh my goodness, the Lord wanted to pour out his spirit on this nation, and he called them to repent and fast, and that unlocked heaven Sign me up. Sign me up to cultivate habits in my life that would allow for the response of heaven to be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in whatever measure the Lord has for us. So what is our application for this? One. One. Back to that wide part of our circle. Fasting should be a regular practice of those who follow Jesus. Now, this isn't to guilt trip us for not doing it properly. It is a call from the Lord to go back to something that was an intricate part of following him throughout all of Christian history. I think sometimes we forget that our little blip is pretty short relative to like the Christian history. And this is a practice that we've lost, but it's something that he says, come again. Let's do it. Let's figure out a way to incorporate this into your life. Let it be a habit that invests in our reciprocal relationship, which unlocks greater experience of my kingdom for you. And God is good to meet us in this. I have fasted with our church um, for this fast, like maybe four or five years now. Um, every single time has been different. The depth of my understanding of what was happening has been different. My ability to hear from the Lord. That first fast felt a little bit like, hmm, I thought that was going to be a little better. Um, but let me just encourage you that at, similar to any habit, any habit we cultivate in our lives, as we continue to step into it, our understanding of, of what God is asking us to do and how we can honor Lord the Lord through our fast, what it can look like regularly throughout the year, will grow as we step into it. So you may walk away from fasting this time around and be like, eh, 
But what did occur was your obedience step in response to God. And that is powerful, because he will meet you in that. may not be what you think. But let us return to the regular practice of fasting. Two, our response to an awareness of sin should be fasting and repentance. If you find yourself aware of sin and you don't quite know what to do, I would say surrender yourself and ask the Lord if he's asking you to fast and repent. I mean, he, he says it in scripture, so it can only be an honoring response to the Lord. When, when I see, oh my goodness, I am in this place, I've done this thing, he is asking us to fast and repent. Let it be an automatic response of ours to an awareness of sin in life. That it is a habit that we, we are aware and we are not distraught. We are distraught over our sin. We are not distraught in how to seek the Lord in our repentance because he has told us and he has given us a picture of his goodness and repentance. So let our response to awareness of sin be fasting and repentance. This can be individual. I have seen this on a corporate level. I have been in prayer meetings where we repented of the sins of the past, of a community, of a church. Um, and we besought the Lord and said, Lord God, we see that this is wrong. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for the heavens. To, we rend our hearts, rend the heavens in response to Jesus. So God, resp- God will respond in power and mercy to our act of fasting. So this is actually an action step on God's part. So we can write down these two. And then we know, we have full faith. That God's response will be power, mercy, to the act of fasting. But that leads me to the last point, which is, we must release the result of God's response back into his hands. There is nowhere in scripture, apart from the forgiveness of sins, which is promised to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we get to dictate God's response. We rend our hearts and we give it to him. We trust in his grace and mercy. And we also give him the result of that fast. And we declare, Lord, you are a healer. Lord, you are a deliverer. Lord, you are the forgiver of our sins. And because of that, I trust you completely with my sin and with my fast. Which means I trust completely what your response will be. I do not dictate that. That is something that we saw in those prophets in the Old Testament. They did The agenda, apart from forgiveness of sin, is in God's hand. The response is in God's hand. What the mantle on our shoulders is to seek the Lord through fasting and repentance. So let that be what sits with you today as we enter into this series where we begin to pick apart the different aspects of of fasting. This is one of four. Um, we will get to see the way that the Lord works powerfully through fasting, for mission, for ministry, through breakthrough. But remember that the most common narrative of fasting in Scripture is repentance of sin. Let that be where we start this year. And understanding that the Lord is calling us to respond to his stirring within us. And that's why I sort of said in the beginning, I feel like the Lord may have, because I hear in part, 
Um, but there, there, there are things that the Lord is calling us to rid ourselves of in order to experience the fullness of his spirit in our lives. There may be a greater experience. Think of the last time that you had a true encounter with God where he met you and you were brought to tears. There are times when I'm brought to tears in gratitude for the way that he meets me specifically. Think about that time and know that the Lord will meet you again through fasting and repentance. Hold on to that and know that he is faithful to meet us in that. And trust. I just imagine like our hearts in our hands and placing them at the foot of the cross and declaring, I trust you, Jesus, to be faithful to my fasting and repentance, and I trust your response and nothing more.